Padre Pio once said, there is no flowering of the soul to the beauty of its perfection except at the price of pain. Welcome to the 74th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to remember that everything that happens to us, the good, the bad, the awful, all of it, all of it makes us into the person we are today. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Pope Francis stepped up in a recent interview to lead the way by sharing his experience with mental health treatment in an effort to help us all remember how important it can be to reach out for help. From the article, Pope Francis reported that he visited a great woman psychologist once a week for six months during the periods when he was taking great risks, risks in assisting people to escape during the military dictatorship in Argentina, and she helped him deal with the tension and fears he experienced at the time. He shared that he sometimes suffers from anxiety and states that he has largely learned to overcome his anxiety by listening to Bach or sipping mate, his favorite herbal drink. I just love this tidbit of information so much. First of all, because it normalizes the need to reach out for help when we're in the middle of a stressful situation or time in our lives, and it shows the importance of finding positive and healthy coping skills in our lives to keep us going, keep us moving forward. The importance of Pope Francis sharing this cannot be overstated. We have to keep beating the drum that the solution to our mental health struggles is prayer and reaching out for help. And that's exactly what the Pope is helping to remind all of us with what he shared in this article. Truly beautiful stuff. On to the next topic, psychiatrists are warning OBs to keep an eye out for a rise in postpartum mental illness, including postpartum psychosis, due to the stress of the pandemic. KQED gives us an update. At the Women's Inpatient Unit at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, Dr. Jessica Coker saw four cases of postpartum psychosis in January when the hospital's normal rate is two or three a year. This is strange because it's such a rare disorder, she said. I was like, what's going on? When she looked at the data more closely, it turned out that the hospital had 10 cases from January 2020 through the end of January 2021. That was more than triple the number from the previous year. She didn't notice earlier because the cases were spread out throughout the year, Coker said, adding other hospitals should review their data to see if they notice a similar pattern. Four of the 10 patients with the condition had tested positive for coronavirus. One had been vaccinated, and Coker is still working to determine the COVID status of the other five. She's currently writing a paper about her observations, which will join a few others that have been published about postpartum psychosis and COVID-19. Coker believes, in the case of her hospital, that these were triggered by pandemic-related stress because the women's symptoms were so classically indicative of postpartum psychosis. These included paranoia, disorganized thoughts, irritability, and difficulty sleeping. Also, the condition is usually triggered by stress, and during the pandemic, new moms have plenty of that. They were all isolated, receiving very little help with the new baby. You know, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about maternal mental health, and so I thought today I'd go over some symptoms and advice for getting help. So symptoms include feeling depressed or void of feeling 
feelings of hopelessness, lack of interest in the baby, trouble concentrating, your brain feeling foggy, feeling anxious or panicky, angry or irritable, dizzy or having heart palpitations, not able to sleep when the baby sleeps, extreme worries or fears including the health and safety of the baby, flashbacks regarding the pregnancy or delivery, avoiding things related to the delivery, scary and unwanted thoughts, feeling an urge to re repeat certain behaviors to reduce anxiety like compulsions, needing very little sleep while still functioning, feeling more energetic than usual, seeing images or hearing sounds that others cannot see or hear, and thoughts of harming yourself or your baby. As many as one in seven women experience postpartum depression and anxiety, if you're looking for a way to get connected to services for this kind of issue, please check out postpartum.net or call the Postpartum Support Hotline 1-800-944-4773. And always know that you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to chat with a counselor if you're feeling suicidal, hopeless, or just don't know what to do. So each episode I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to share a little bit about St. John Bosco. Born in 1815 in the kingdom of Sardinia, the youngest of three sons, his father died when John was just two years old and his mother took on the responsibility of raising the three boys on her own, imparting her personality to them and supporting them in their plans and ideas. When John was nine years old, he started to experience dreams that would become a huge influence in his life. In one of the most famous dreams, he saw a multitude of poor children and a man walked up to him and said, you will have to win these friends of yours, not with blows, but with gentleness and kindness. So begin right now to show them that sin is ugly and virtue beautiful. Fast forward a bit later, John would hang around when traveling performers and jugglers would come into the area. He carefully studied what they did, learned all of their tricks, and would eventually use these skills to attract those around him, thus giving him the opportunity to eventually share the good news with them. Having to face difficulties in life at such a young age inspired him to want to work with children who'd been cast out and forgotten. He became a priest at the age of 26 and went on to take care of those children, educate them, and give them a chance at a life where they could experience the love of God and the love God had for them. His example of pushing on through adversity and then using a happy personality and disposition to make the faith attractive gives us a great witness and reminds us that John is a wonderful saint ready to intercede for us and for all forgotten children around the world. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, and here's a prayer the saint wrote himself. Most Holy Virgin Mary, help of Christians, how sweet it is to come to your feet imploring your perpetual help. If earthly mothers cease not to remember their children, how can you, the most loving of all mothers, forget me? Grant then to me, I implore you, your perpetual help in all my necessities, in every sorrow, and especially in my temptations. I ask for your unceasing help for all who are now suffering. Help the weak, cure the sick, convert the sinners. Grant through your intercession many vocations to religious life. Obtain for us, O Mary, help of Christians, that having invoked you on earth, we may love and eternally thank you in heaven. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy.
Darren gets us started. I'm struggling with anxiety and fear that death is the end of it all. Secularism and vague spirituality constantly dilute my acceptance of the gospel. What are some helpful ideas for coping with these feelings of existential dread so that eventually I can find my faith again? Let's start by joining in prayer for Darren and everyone experiencing this existential dread that what we see around us may be all there is and that death will be the end of it all. That God may pour his grace into all of our hearts, giving us peace and hope for what comes next. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I really appreciate this question because I think it's something that all of us have had to walk through or are currently walking through in our lives. What if it's all wrong? What if there is no heaven? What if when our life ends, we end, and that's all there is? And I know for myself, and I'm guessing a lot of us, just having these questions bouncing around in my mind leads to a whole lot of side anxiety and stress. How can I ask something like this? I believe in God, right? How am I ever going to have a good relationship with God if I have all these kinds of questions going through my mind? Well, I guess the first thing I would point out is that having these questions, experiencing these thoughts, facing anxiety and stress because of them, all of it actually builds our faith, builds our tolerance to questions in the future. And I think it's really the hard work of faith that gets us closer to God in the end. Of course, knowing all of that doesn't do much to quiet the suffering of going through all of this. So let's think of some ideas for coping with the anxiety and stress that comes along with it. There are really two ways of approaching this, and you should consider your personality and your style when thinking about the best approach for you. First would be to battle these thoughts, to take out a sheet of paper and write down the thoughts that are causing you anxiety, and then write down a counter thought, something you know to be true, even though it may not feel like it all the time. This way, when the anxious thoughts come up, you can repeat those truths as a mantra to help yourself battle back the stress they're causing. The other idea is to face these head on and allow yourself to sit with the anxiety, sit with the stress, sit with the uncomfortable feelings of dread. When we have the thought come to us, what if when we die, it's all over? What if this is all there is? And then we allow the anxiety and stress to hit us and we sit with it. We answer it with, okay, what if it does all just end when we die? And we face the anxiety and pain that that, that brings until it naturally starts to go away. This approach is helpful because it tells the thoughts that they don't have power. The emotions they make you feel will go away. And slowly but surely, when the thoughts of existential dread lose their power, they will start to come less frequently. We're praying for you. Noah checks in next. I'd be fascinated to hear an application of St. Therese's spiritual childhood to mental health struggles. So let's join together in prayer, asking the Blessed Mother to show all of us the power in approaching, taking care of our mental health in the smallest of ways. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you for this fascinating question, Noah. I really appreciate getting the opportunity to think about this. First, some definitions, because I think the little way has been taken in all kinds of different directions over the years. Let's have a look at one definition from littleflower.org. The little way of St. Therese tries to capture her understanding of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, of seeking holiness of life in the ordinary and every day. St. Therese based her little way on two fundamental convictions. One, 
God shows love by mercy and forgiveness. And two, she could not be perfect in following the Lord. Another synopsis I found online shares that the little way teaches humility and is gentle and non-judgmental. So I love thinking of our approach to mental health and wellness in this way. First, God shows love by mercy and forgiveness. This is something vital that we have to do for ourselves when we're struggling. We spend so much time thinking bad thoughts about ourselves. We aren't good enough. We'll never be good enough. We should be able to get better all on our own, etc. But the first step to approaching our mental health in terms of the little way is to be gentle with ourselves, cut ourselves some slack forgive ourselves, and show ourselves a little mercy. Next, we can't be perfect. This is so crucial for us to remember. When we're journeying toward wellness from our mental health symptoms, we are going to experience setbacks. We're going to have good days and bad days. We aren't going to be healthy, happy, motivated, calm, and patient all of the time. And if we can keep this in mind, we'll have a much better time moving forward through our anxiety, depression, and other experiences because we can stay focused on moving one step at a time and not feeling overwhelmed when a bad day comes knocking. Finally, I want to think about our approach to mental health as being non-judgmental. This is huge, both for taking care of ourselves and taking care of our loved ones. Mental illness and mental health symptoms lead us to engage in behaviors, have feelings, and struggle with emotions that we wouldn't engage in, have, or struggle with if it wasn't for those symptoms. We shouldn't be placing judgment on ourselves or our loved ones for depression or anxiety. We should instead approach these symptoms and this experience with compassion, acceptance, and unconditional positive regard. People who know me know that I'm not the biggest St. Therese fan, but after walking through this thanks to Noah's question, I'm feeling like she may have been onto something. Cole wraps us up. I'm struggling to find how to show true love to a brother or sister with gender dysphoria without denying the truth about human sexuality Christ teaches us through his church. I know it can be done, for truth and charity are not opposed, but the devil is in the details, especially here. Should I use preferred names or pronouns, or refuse to put my own pronouns in an email signature? Should I dead name public figures like Bruce Jenner in conversation? What kinds of treatment are acceptable? Sex change surgery clearly isn't, but should I accept someone presenting as the opposite sex as a step to better mental health? How do I not accede to a mistaken and ultimately harmful view of sexuality in public settings while not shutting the door in the face of those who struggle with this issue? What should I accept and what should I push back on when it's a friend or personal encounter rather than a public forum? Well, let's start by joining in prayer together for Cole, for peace, and for God to show the best way to be unconditionally loving to all of our sisters and brothers, and especially for those living with the experience of gender dysphoria, that they may experience the grace of Christ pouring into their hearts and be able to live a life where they can love and be loved by those around them without condition. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, I'd like to say it's awesome that you're thinking of this question, thinking of how best to match up church teaching with Christ's command to love our sisters and brothers unconditionally. It's a great thing to do. And you're absolutely right that there should be no disconnect between the two. 
Next, I want to point out that I'm just a guy. I'm just a therapist who has some ideas and thoughts about this, uh, but I don't speak for the church in any official way. And so I say that to point out that my thoughts on this topic aren't binding or representative of what Catholics might think as a whole. So I just wanted to say that. That being said, here's my thought. When we make an effort to love others unconditionally, no matter their experience, no matter how they identify, no matter if they live a life in accordance with church teaching or not, when we make an effort to love everyone unconditionally, we are doing the Lord's work. We are not only making a better world for ourselves, but also a better world for everyone we come into contact with. I've said this before, and I still believe it to be true, that our sisters and brothers in the LGBT community know the Catholic Church's teaching about human sexuality and have most likely encountered plenty of people who use that teaching as a tool to make them feel like an outsider or make them feel less than or broken or deficient when actual church teaching shouldn't do any of those things. And so rather than worrying about holding some hard and fast line or refusing to use pronouns that differ from the ones we think we should use for someone else, my approach is to meet people where they're at, validate their experience, want the best for them, help them to feel loved, welcomed, a part of the Catholic community, help them to know that they are loved by God and by Jesus no matter what. Building relationships like this is the kind of work that is going to change the world for the better. I'm not saying that there's never a moment for conversations about church teaching. I'm simply saying that, one, we need to really understand what the church teaches and have some reflection about our motivation for sharing church teaching at a given moment before we do it. And two, remember that loving others is the most important thing. And I don't mean that thing where Catholics say something like, really loving someone is being willing to tell them the truth. No. I mean actually loving them, being in their presence, being kind and compassionate, understanding, listening to their experience, trying to put ourselves in their shoes, and simply helping them to feel good about who they are and about how much God loves them, no matter what. So, you know, people can take it or leave it, but that's my approach. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dimphna.